0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Scary Story Podcast brings original short scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery, where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast.
0: Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, whether this is your first time or you're one of the brave souls who join us every week. So many of us love to curl up in the safety of our own home while we read a scary book or watch a horror movie. But we only enjoy that because these terrible things aren't happening to us. But with all of the new sightings of UFOs, it makes you wonder how much longer are we really safe? And if out of this world aliens don't harm us, people around us with ill intentions will. First, The Road to Danger, followed by Stairway to Nowhere, then A Parent's Cruel Love. Finally, in our featured story, Invasion From Within. So, wanna hear something scary? Abduction. Sometimes, when we're so focused on a specific goal, we forget to see all of the terrible things that might get in our way of achieving it. Like in this story, inspired by Raven Storm. It was chilly for an April morning in North Texas, but I was determined to clock a good time for my upcoming 5K. It was still dark outside, but I was in the zone. I was focused. I was determined. Damn it! I was already walking. Huffing, puffing, and grabbing at my side stitch, I turned the corner. I picked up the pace as I went past the window of the fitness center so as to not embarrass myself. I slowed again once I was out of sight. As I approached the Covenant of Closets, I noticed two women heading to the door. They carried various cleaning supplies from a small black SUV behind them that read, Covenant Cleaners. It was black on black, with some silver outlining the letters, but not flashy or attention-grabbing. I thought it was the store's own label of cleaners, sending them from closet to closet, offering their services to their special clientele. Ironic, I was right, and it was so wrong. The women appeared to be in their 60s, both dressed in all black, matching tunics with square-toed boots, perhaps odd for a maid's uniform but I was too concerned with figuring out my distance to pay much attention or worry about the women giving each other a creepy glance while judging and measuring me. I walk-jog crawled my way back through the neighborhood to my townhouse. It was not my best run, but I got it done. I'd live to run another day. The following morning, my alarm went off at 5.30 a.m. I dressed, popped my AirPods in, and I was off. I took my usual route through the neighborhood towards the currently desolate shopping center as fast as my tired legs would carry me. Once again, I saw the small black Covenant Cleaners SUV, but only one of the women from yesterday was there, dressed in her black uniform. She appeared to be struggling carrying her supplies. Excuse me, dear. I read her lips and took out my AirPods and asked if she needed help. She was very grateful. Her eyes seemed eager, too alert for this time of morning. I grabbed the bucket of supplies from her outstretched bony hands. It was heavier than I expected and was covered with a lid. Whatever was in there weighed a ton. The woman opened the door. I was eager to get rid of this heavy black bucket and continue my run. She thanked me and asked if I would drop the bucket over at the back door. It was dark inside the store but I could see she was motioning to the wall across from us. Struggling to carry the bucket, I was beginning to think about what might be in it. Then there was a sudden, intense pain and a flash of light before I slid to the floor. I hadn't seen the hammer before it crashed into my skull, but as I struggled to stay conscious, I could feel my head throbbing. Everything felt heavy and wet. Opening my eyes was a struggle. I blinked, but it was still a blur. I was fighting to remember where I even was. My limbs wouldn't work, and my heart pounded as I struggled to breathe beyond the panic.
2: We're sorry dear, we're just doing our job,
0: our calling, our duty. A voice sounded. As my eyes finally began to focus in the dimly lit room, I saw the voice belong to the woman I helped. Another woman stood with her both dressed in their black uniform. They'd added what appeared to be a white head covering. I tried to move my body, but nothing happened. I opened my mouth, but no sound came out.
2: No, no, don't try to walk or move, dear. We've given you something to dull the pain and keep you paralyzed during the ritual. You won't feel a thing,
0: the first voice said.
2: You should know your sacrifice is for the greater good. My sister, Agnes, and I have been cleaning for the coven for over 40
0: years. It is our role, our calling in life to bring a sacrifice to the demons." The second voice continued. Agnes picked up the story like a sweet grandmother sharing memories.
2: You've heard of the monster in the closet, right? They're real, you know. They are the worst kind of demon if they were to leave the confines of the closet the world would be in grave danger but as sister gladys mentioned it is our purpose to deliver an offering to the demons to keep them satisfied
0: we made a pact and this is our duty even being paralyzed and mute didn't stop the tears from falling My emotions were not paralyzed. I could still feel the liquid fear dripping from my eyes. I could hear Gladys begin to chant in Latin. It sounded like one of those prayers the Pope performs on TV. I was aware of a bright light piercing the darkened room as Agnes joined in her sister's vocals. I saw something quickly flash by my left eye. I never felt the razor slice across my throat. Only a short sensation of burning heat. Then, just like my tears, the feeling of moisture running down my throat. As the darkness took me over and my beating heart began to slow, I heard a deep and raspy voice ask what the woman had brought. Gladys and Agnes answered in unison.
2: We are the sisters, and we bring a clean sacrifice onto thee and thine.
0: I struggled to catch my final gasp for air, I no longer felt the warmth of the blood gushing down my throat. And then, only darkness. Have you ever felt like your life was in danger? Or that someone might be watching you? If you have a frightening tale to share with us, send us an email to snarled.com. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Earth is vast and so much of it is yet to be fully explored. Even ecosystems such as large forests hold mysteries. And sometimes, if you come across something that doesn't seem right, there's only one thing to do. Run. Three years ago, my best friend Shawnee went missing, missing, abducted, taken. Choose any of those verbs. The thing is, she is no longer here. And although I saw the whole thing happen, I have no idea where she is or what the hell happened. For as long as I can remember, Shawnee wanted to be a park ranger when she graduated college, she absolutely loved wildlife and had even considered moving somewhere like Africa to work with actual wild animals. But luckily for her, we have a ton of forests here in SoCal to explore until she could work for the Forest Service for real. I wanted to be law enforcement one day, maybe even FBI eventually. So together, we'd go on hikes overnight, seeing it as a part of our own training. Sometimes we trek for miles and miles, One time, we got so lost, we needed SAR to come find us, but only once. We learned to be more careful with our planning and always know the way back. So when I tell you that the day Shawnee disappeared, we'd hiked further into the forest than we'd gone in a long time. It wasn't because we'd gotten lost. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone out and been able to tell everyone, not that anyone believed me. It was a regular Sunday, Nothing spectacular about the date, weather, moon cycle. The only thing out of the ordinary was how far we went. Shawnee had been on a bad date the night before. Nothing sketchy, just a really boring dude and she'd been ranting and raving about how she was 17 and never seemed to be able to find the right kind of guy to gel with. We'd been out for just over three hours when we found it. We both swore we'd been to the location before although not for some time. But whether it had been six months or six years wouldn't have mattered, because what we saw should never have been possible. I think the first thing I noticed, besides the anomaly itself, was how eerily quiet it was all of a sudden. Of course, the deep forests have a tranquility about them, being miles from roads and houses, but you are usually serenaded by birds, critters, insects, leaves rustling, twigs snapping under your foot, but there was nothing. And that's when I really took in our surroundings. We stood in a clearing whereby the trees around us formed a perfect circle, and in the middle was a staircase. It took my untrained eye to notice it was made of hard, dark wood with perhaps iron railings, tall as a house and looked as though it had been there for years, as if the people it were built for just up and left. There was no carpet on the steps, yet each was highly polished and well-kept. And despite being in the center of all the trees, there was no leaf, branch, or debris upon them. No bird poop, no critters using it as a nest. Nothing. I instinctively had a very bad feeling. This was not okay. There was no way those stairs belonged here and I couldn't even begin to think how it would be remotely possible for there to be any plausible explanation. My gut told me we needed to get the hell out of there. But as I was turning to leave, Shawnee inexplicably and without a word ran to the steps, shot straight up them and... vanished. Poof. Gone. Crazy, right? I don't know how long I just stared at the structure, not really believing she wasn't going to just pop up from the top step and shout, Boo! but she didn't, of course. After I was able to unfreeze myself, I ran around and around, calling her name over and over again, looking for any trace, any explanation, but there was nothing. Somehow, I managed to click into survival mode and made my way as quickly as possible back to the parking lot and ranger station. I raced in, and they immediately got ready to head out as I reported the exact location, description, until I mentioned the staircase. It was subtle, but I saw the ranger flinch. They wanted me to stay at the station, but I insisted on going with them. I knew Shawnee would be beside herself if she didn't see her best friend there. But you can already guess what happened, right? When we arrived at the clearing, there was nothing. No evidence of a staircase. No Shawnee. The forest floor was undisturbed. The birds chattered. They searched for hours. Police came, family and other friends. A whole community of volunteers looked for weeks, nothing. I have no real idea what happened that day. No one official has been able to give me an answer. They refused to talk about staircases in the woods, but I've done my own research into it since. I still don't have an answer, but I'll tell you this much. If you ever come across one, run. Have you ever discovered something unusual that shouldn't be where it is? What did you do? Were you brave enough to explore? Or did your gut tell you to get out of there? It's easy to look at our neighbors and make assumptions about their lives. But the truth is, we have no idea what kind of hell they might be living through. Like in this story inspired by Colin Austed. I remember the first time I heard that ice cream truck. It was about midnight. I was battling my insomnia and typing away at my computer when I heard it. I had to take off my headphones to be sure, but when I looked out my bedroom window, there it was. An old-fashioned looking ice cream truck coming down the road with its lights on, and playing It's a Small World, a song that could drive me mad. I watched as the ice cream truck slowly made its way down my street. It was a very bizarre sight for such a late hour. It seemed crazy for anyone to be selling ice cream at midnight. But I was new to the neighborhood, so maybe for them it was normal. The ice cream truck stopped a few houses down from me, at the Zines house, headlights flashing. I watched as the front door of the house opened and I saw the Zine's son, who was about eight years old, come out of the house and slowly walk towards the truck. The passenger side door opened up and the kid climbed in, seemingly in a trance. As soon as the kid was inside, the door closed behind him and the ice cream truck slowly proceeded down the street. The next morning, I saw a moving van outside that house I was confused because they moved in just a few weeks before me. I asked Zine if they were really leaving so soon. He barely looked up from the van, claiming they found a better spot in another city. I asked about his son, said that I saw him last night and I was wondering if he got home okay. He turned to me, his face pale. He shuddered. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Then practically ran inside the house and slammed the door. The next night i heard that terrible song coming down the road i stood at the window clutching the curtains as the truck stopped at the house across the street again its headlights flashed and a girl no older than nine walked out like the boy before her she seemed to travel as if an invisible force was pulling her towards the ice cream truck my body broke out in a cold sweat as the passenger side door opened and the little girl climbed in without even the slightest trace of fear. No, the whisper escaped my mouth as the truck slowly pulled away and vanished into the night. I had to find out what was going on. The next morning, I saw a neighbor gardening, so I strolled over and asked if she knew what the deal was with the ice cream truck and the kids in the neighborhood. She scowled at my question. You should mind your business and be happy the troublemakers are gone. So she knew. They all knew some psycho was taking kids in the middle of the night and no one was doing anything about it. The old woman said, it's a great service. Blood pounded in my ears. Before I could say any more, the back door flew open and an old man in a stained tank top, shorts and flip flops stormed out calling her inside. He apologized for her, suggesting she just rambles and has no idea what she's saying, but she seemed lucid to me. I had to dig deeper. I kept an ear out for the local gossip. It wasn't long before I learned all the troubles of the family that lived behind me. They were in financial debt, and from what I knew, they had only one child named Cole. I waited till nightfall and hopped the fence. I waited in the dark backyard until I heard that damn song. My body was shaking as I heard it coming down the road as I moved to the side of their house. When the ice cream truck stopped in front of the boy's house and flashed its headlights, I made my move. I crouched down in the shadows of the shrubs. As soon as the boy was outside, I ran up and scooped him into my arms. He didn't even react, but lay like a sandbag in my arms as I raced down the street. I heard the roar of the ice cream truck gaining on me. I ran, but the truck kept pace with me. My lungs were burning and my legs were about to give out as the house came into view. But my momentary feeling of relief was snuffed out as I heard the passenger side door swing open. The boy's body seemed to slip from my arms, pulled towards the unseen driver. Once the boy was in the truck, I made one more plea. Take me instead. These parents don't deserve to lose their precious kids. There was silence. Then with an evil laugh, the voice in the van said, (laughs) Who do you
1: think called me? to take them in the first place.
0: Does the sound of an ice cream truck give you the creeps? If you had known this could happen, would you have behaved better as a child? Or can you imagine that you would give away a child if they started causing you problems? In our final story, Join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale based on a story from Zimbabwe inspired by Pablo and animated over on our YouTube channel.
3: On September 19th, 1994, approximately 60 children in Zimbabwe experienced something that might haunt them forever. There were also reports of strange lights and a craft in the sky in other parts of Zimbabwe, as well as in Zambia and South Africa. Even now, no one knows for certain the true effects deciding had on those who were unfortunate enough to witness it. Rufaro woke up screaming. Her heart was pounding and she was drenched in sweat. She looked over at her sister, Shona, who was facing away from her, still fast asleep. This was not the first time Rufaro had woken up screaming and it appeared Shona was no longer disturbed by it. As a result, their father awoke from his slumber, bolting into their bedroom, holding Rufaro tightly in his arms. It was the same nightmare, she whimpered, the same awful eyes. Tucking her in tightly, he assured Rufaro it was just that, a nightmare. But it always felt so real to her, even after she had woken up. The night terrors had started a couple of months earlier, after the incident at school. Rufaro was playing outside with her classmates when one of them stopped and pointed toward the tree line, seeing a glint of shimmering light through the leaves. The children gathered close together when a massive silver aircraft type dome descended through the branches. They stood mesmerized as a few more unidentified floating objects landed on the field in front of them. Rufaro tried to run to get her teacher but her feet felt rooted to the ground. She tried to look away, but her eyes were fixated on the strange objects. All of the 60 or so children who were outside stood silent and frozen. Emerging from the ship, they saw a person? Well, not exactly. This bizarre being had a perfectly rounded head with jet black clothing and pitch black eyes that seemed to look beyond even infinity itself. Suddenly, more strange beings appeared out of thin air until there were rows upon rows surrounding them, all identical yet distinctly uninviting. The frightening stares sending shivers down children's spines. Suddenly, a loud squealing noise made all the children grab their heads. As a result, some of them falling to the ground in pain. The alien-like creatures were trying to communicate with them telepathically. Rufaro and other students burst into tears. One of the creatures paced along the top of the disk, then seemingly called his army back to the ship. The aliens turned around, and as suddenly as they arrived, they were gone, as if they were never there. The children broke down, some yelling, some crying, some just confused. Rufaro just stood there, tears running down her cheeks. The BBC and other news stations arrived to speak with the students, Rafaro was interviewed. Meanwhile, Shona was in the bathroom at the time and missed the entire event. The reporters prompted each student to draw what they recalled, their sketches were all eerily similar yet somewhat different perspectives. Yet they all had the form of the beans in a specific detail of the eyes being at the bottom of their faces. Other accounts of adults all over South Africa came forward seeing a bright ball of fire flying across the sky moments before and after the children saw the UFO incident. Experts on the news concluded with this statement, We agree the children did see something. Now the news just couldn't answer for sure what that something was. But what was more terrifying was why had the creatures come in the first place? Since that first night, Rafaro had been dreaming about the alien hovering over her body as she lay paralyzed in bed. The creature would take out a giant syringe and draw blood from Rafaro. Then the alien would take the same vial of blood and plunge it deep into its own arm. Finally, Rafaro would close her eyes and gain enough strength to scream. Then, and only then, would she wake up. That night, her father stayed in their room until Rafaro fell back asleep. He shook his head and wondered why none of the other children were having this kind of side effect. There must be something he was missing. He kissed her goodnight, then went to kiss Shona before he went back to bed. But it was so dark, he never saw Shona's giant black eyes at the bottom of her face or the spot of blood on her arm from the syringe. Rafaro's nightmares were far from over And the real Shona, wherever she was, would never be around to hear her sister's cries.
0: This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Calvin Linderman. Additional audio editing by Fitz Harris. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>